0: Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: This is a CBC Podcast.
0: You're listening to Chosen Family. It's a podcast. It's a live Facebook thing. It's a way of life. And it's produced and presented by the amazing people at 5 I'm Trana Winter. I'm Thomas LeBlanc. And And this this is our show.
4: show. Good morning. Hi, Trenna. Hello. <laughs> How are you? Great, you? I'm pretty good. Episode 8 of Chosen Family here at the Phi Center. We're now at the halfway
0: mark of our first season. Halfway mark, because
4: we, we agreed with the Phi Center to do 15 episodes exactly. at the
0: beginning. Every episode just feels so precious. <sighs> I know, I know. Everyone is,
4: is full of adventures and discovery, because what people may know or don't know is that we prepare. We ask people to come on the show. We book the, the calls. We find the performances, the songs. Yeah, uh, a lot
0: of work. Goes into it, but a lot of fun. But work. it's a lot of fun. And we I... care about it so much. And also to have people just respond so wonderfully to what yeah. we're doing is so incredible and we're so grateful.
4: Yes. Um, we're recording on a Wednesday today. So if you're watching on Facebook, it's Wednesday. If you're listening, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but before we go into this, trend, I had to ta- I had to share a story with you. Okay, yes. Um, Sunday night, I have a friend who asked me, he's like, do you want to go to church? And I'm like, I don't go to church. I'm not a very religious person person, right. um, but there, there is I, so I live on, on a street in Montreal called Park Avenue between Fairmount and St. Vieter, and there's a theater, there's a club, uh, it's called Fairmount Theater and every Sunday night they have this like evangelical service, okay. the church is called La Chapelle, and it's full, it's so weird, it's full of young people um, there's like graphic design, there's branding, it's right. full on branded, <laughs> um, there's music that sounds like I mean I'm not a biggest Coldplay fan but right, Coldplay it's okay. Arcade Fire and Christian from, Rock. It's Christian Rock and you know like in mean, my neighborhood is very is is very Jewish I don't really care about the synagogues but there's something about You know, every Sunday night walking past that, you know, branded church service at a like indie club, I don't know, like I'm cringing. And when I went, (laughs) I I was like, the whole service was about uh, forgiving and, you know, like uh, living a better life. And of course I want to do that, but I was also very like conflicted because of what evangelicals stand for in the States. I don't it's, know. It's I, all I, intense. I, I'm so spiritual, and at the same time, I was just, like, the least spiritual person in
0: that room. Right. Cynical. Yeah, <laughs> very cynical. Um, I mean... I have felt that discomfort always growing up, you know, like I grew up Roman Catholic, although we never went to church every (laughs) Sunday. But a lot of the kids that I went to elementary school with, they used to go every Sunday. And I was like, wow, that really sucks. You know, like it just felt like this takeover of their lives. But then there was also a part of it that I really loved. Like I really loved the bible stories believe it or not like to me as a kid they were like fairy tales yeah, you like know and I remember one time I got to be an apostle in one of the <laughs> one of the services um, that we used to have in our gymnasium and I was like so thrilled because it's so theatrical. You know, I think as a kid, I really liked the theatrics of in, religion. In my elementary school, there was this like
4: really modern chapel where you could watch from three sides. One side was for the kids. One side was for the nuns. It was like the smallest side. And one side was for the hospital people because it was a church. It was like a hospital with a school. It was okay, a sort of big. Wow. Yeah. Like very Catholic. Right. Montreal North, Italian right. uh, congregation. And I only have like good memories. I mean, it was a bit boring. Right. Right, you know, let's let's be yeah, honest here. I mean, but, but I have good memories of that. Yeah, and they, these were good values. But going back into that church service on Sunday night, I was like, "Who? Okay." Like, I felt a bit triggered by the whole experience. Right. I don't know what it is. And I also like knowing that they that evangelicals in the states are you know they're not really necessarily for women's rights yeah. or gay rights.
0: I feel like I mean. It, there is something. I mean, I think people are looking for something deeper right That's now the thing. because everything right now is not only so chaotic and horrifying and heavy and, and hard to process, but there's also a side of of our culture that has become just insanely superficial but, as well. But you know what? The funny thing is, the pastor was almost a comedian. He had jokes, right? Like
4: setups and punchlines. It was so strange. Like he had to like connect. Uh, spiritually with people, he almost had to use the codes of entertainment. Everyone, uh,
0: look how look who won the presidency. I mean, talk <laughs> about like codes of entertainment. Yeah. Everything has to but be coded religion, as entertainment. I know,
4: I know. Maybe I'm naive, but I, I don't know. I like my 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 spirituality to be a
0: bit boring. sacred. Yeah, yeah. Or well, sacred. I mean, what's interesting though is that is to see young people gravitate towards the sort of oppressive values of the evangelicals Mm -hmm. instead of trying to find something new and build something new. I didn't feel that that church was
4: necessarily oppressive, but you know, reading, for example, about people like Justin Bieber, they go to the church, like Evangelical Services in LA, or there's this big uh, Christian church in Australia called Hillsong, and I'm like, why do like so many? I know that people were
0: looking for answers, but it just baffled me. because I thought we we're all moving away know, from that know. kind of those kinds of organizations and it, just finding a more personal and individual approach to all of it, you know? And, and
4: you know, it's it's cliche to say, but like, I feel I'm a very spiritual person, but not religious. And right. I, a lot of people say that, and I think it's a bit it's a bit bullshit because people used to like they justify that to justify their right. like, individualism in a way.
0: Yeah. I mean, I do feel that way, too. But I don't really think of my spirituality so consciously. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's just Cause it's, it's in your bio. Yeah, it's well, in your comedy it, it, bio. It is. It's like China Wintour. Is I, that- <laughs> I, but I but it's um it's a spirituality that I think is unique to. To me, and I believe that our spirituality is, each of our spiritualities is quite unique to who we are. You know, I don't get what I need on a spiritual level just from one place, Mm -hmm. you know, just from Jesus. You know, well, I don't get anything from Jesus, (laughs) never have. But in theory, he's a good guy, it's what people have made of him. I suppose. (laughs) Um, But you know, like there's a part of my spirituality that is very much derived from creativity Mm -hmm. and the arts and and making things happen and then there's a part of it that's derived from astrology you know which I mean, I don't follow religiously. There's nothing that I'll ever follow mm-hmm. religiously. But, well, pop culture. But but I don't. You know, um, I wouldn't say that's part of my spirituality, but maybe it is. But I feel like you introduced me to astrology in terms of like what it can be, because mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people, we, myself included, had the idea of astrology as like being the last page in a magazine and just mm-hmm. sort of being like, here's your lucky lotto numbers this week, and and just not. Anything very meaningful, but it runs very deep. And what I love about it is that it's about energy, you know, and that's what I'm really into is just energies. Perfect.
4: Our guest, Arshad, is is walking into the room. Arshad, come and sit down. Yes, do come it, do and sit it. Come and, come, come and sit down. Us. Yes. What's your sign, Arshad? We're talking Aries. about astrology. Uh, Aries. Oh Sorry. my God, that's twins. Your...
0: <laughs> 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 Welcome to chosen
4: family, Thank Arshad. Thank you so
0: much for having me. We are so happy to have you here. You've been bringing your documentary film Abu all over the world. You just flew in from Vancouver last night. Yes. How was that?
1: Fantastic! It's. uh, I just want to say this show is awesome. I have. Thank you. Yeah, I've been. I've been following you for the last few days, and the whole setup in Fee Center and Montreal. This is amazing, brilliant, and Thank I'm you. really honored to be on your show and I th- I hope it does really well. Do
4: you know in which time zone you are right now?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, in a, really, I'm in the West oh. Coast. Yeah. But I just want to address what you were just talking yes, about please, earlier. Yes, which we're, we're going to get into,
0: obviously. Yeah, not, because right?
1: I, I'm not conflicted at all. I right. think that this is clear uh, appropriation of uh, pop culture and uh, by the church right. and evangelicals are dangerous. Yeah. They must be stopped and at the, at the heart of it they are white supremacists and they are the same as as. Uh they're no different in their really in their ideology as ISIS right. or as Islamo-fascists. So I am absolutely not confused about it. Mm. I, I categorically condemn this. Yeah.
4: Well, this is my feeling walking past every Sunday night. I'm like, they, they, you know, they look cool, they like have good branding, but like they elected DT and they would they don't want someone like me to be able to get married or have the same rights as them in the states. I don't know about Quebec, I don't know about Canada. They're
1: uh, they're the same everywhere, but in Quebec we have to uh, be very very grateful mm-hmm. because we got out of the of the fangs of mm-hmm. religion right. uh, in the 60s with a quiet revolution and you know i give this the example of Quebec wherever I go in the world where people are like well what do you do there's a lack of spirituality corporate cultures taking over I'm like religion is a corporate culture of its own. Itself, yeah it's a, a thug it's a it's a religious this this kind of dogmatic religion is, is the, the only reason you see that club and all that money and all that comedic guy stand-up show routine right. priest trying to rope people in is because in the last few years so much money has been appropriated towards the uh, the churches yeah. like George Bush uh, you know I believe he he moved, he appropriated uh, uh, increased the amount of money going to churches by 250% or something wow. outrageous like that. Yeah. So when you put so much money into it then obviously you're going to have the money to because the churches know they're losing their right. power because of social media. Yeah. And because of Plain common sense going around, but I, I tell you, we have to vehemently, with all our might, oppose this kind of uh, this kind of appropriation of our culture. So,
4: for people listening or watching who don't know you, who don't know why you're here. You're, <laughs> you're a phenomenal True. filmmaker. Yeah, you're uh, your your film Abu is a documentary uh, that that you launched this summer.
1: Correct? Yes, and that's right. It that, world well premiered in June,
4: and uh, and that you've been presenting in festivals all over the world, and it's about your relationship with your
0: Abu, your yes, father, with my right? Father. And I feel like we're so excited to have you, and I feel like for our listeners to really get the most out of this experience, tell us about Abu the film in your own words.
1: Okay, so the thing is that I am uh, from Pakistan. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm, and I, my family moved to Canada in 1991, and the biggest shock to me was. The you were
4: 15 or 16, right? Yes. Yeah.
1: And I was, I was shocked that I was brown. I had no idea. Because, you know, in Pakistan, we have, uh, we had one television station and we had so many different uh, kind of uh, shows. We had Chinese shows, we had uh, Russian shows, American, British, Australian, um, of course, the Pakistani show. So we, we were really conditioned to understand that there's all kinds of people in the world. Right. But when you come to Canada... Everything is the same, Mm -hmm. and I did not find any representation of people of color, proper representation, Mm -hmm. besides, like, the Cosby show, you know? Right. And uh, I realized that these people have no idea who we are, Mm -hmm. and that that just got intensified. And then, you know, like, there was friends, but they were all white friends. Mm -hmm. There was sex in the city. It was, like, white sex in the city. You know, there was 90210, everyone white. So, it was really a problem which you couldn't articulate but you felt it as a young mm-hmm. person so um, then 9-11 happened and that even uh, you know so, started but you,
4: spent, you spent the 90s in Mississauga right <clears throat> yes mostly that's how you your experience of Canada was landing in Mississauga living on a street True. Uh, you had a Greek neighbor
1: an Italian neighbor an Italian neighbor
4: <laughs> and your, the people in front of your house were, were Anglo-Canadian Angle, yeah. they wouldn't look to you because I watched the document it's phenomenal <laughs> <laughs> people have Thank to watch you. it there's so many details of your experience in Canada Canada, but also your experience with your family, your yes. father, your mother, your sister, your older sister, which you adore, yes. uh, who you adore, sorry. And and all of those experiences combined together, and then you were leading up to nine eleven, really affected your family personally.
1: That's right. And I wanted, um, so what happened is in 2011, I'm going to give away something yeah. about the film already. Yeah. Uh, my father passed away. And I had a very difficult relationship with him as a gay son to a very devout Muslim father. So for his memorial, I was making a five-minute video. But I realized that I have a huge body of uh, of uh, obscene amount of um, home video and footage because my family were one of the first people in 1981 to yeah. had a VHS movie camera. <laughs> Which is amazing. Uh, and I was like this, really little and I'm like dancing. And I have so many videos of me dancing, you have no idea. I could like make a whole... <laughs> like series on just me bad, okay. dancing badly for our
4: listeners you have if if you're okay i was i was born in quebec i was raised in quebec and to see images of the early 80s in pakistan and see happy people dancing loving is so contrary to all the images that we usually see from your culture that's right and that was so profoundly affecting to me Mm. to see that love and to see your family and to see you dancing and that freedom and your sister and 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 because of that those like home i don't know like here it's like oh whatever you have a family video it's like nobody cares but like to see that text of your family of you growing up and you in the in the late 80s also because we really see you through your early adolescence and that's right. And it's very touching. So you decided to like delve into that in 2011. <clears throat> it was
1: very, very difficult. Making yeah. this film was very hard. You know, one of the things you learn at film school. I went to Concordia, yeah. Mel Oppenheim School of Cinema, which I highly recommend, yeah. by the way, to anybody because it's an excellent film school, um, and it's just an excellent place to go to university, mm-hmm. in my opinion, Quebec. Um, so I I learned that you know you work with what you've got. You know, but I also learned that, you know, don't navel gaze too much. And then I made the ultimate navel-gazing <laughs> kind of film. But I made a very intentional film. You know, it's a very deep film. There's a lot I packed into the film. I, it was It's a very ambitious film. But I never actually meant to make a film about myself. I meant to make a film, you know, documentary about my father mm-hmm. and my family and what they're doing. But mm-hmm. it was impossible to leave myself out of it. And right. it had to happen. And also it was very difficult, but I had to make the decision to ha- use narration. Mm-hmm. And narration is really kind of looked down upon unless you're Werner Herzog, you know. Right. Um, but I had to because I had to contextualize the film and I had to pack so many issues into one film, make sense of the whole thing and also make it relatable and understand across cultures right
4: because the way you tell your story is you know the images are the images of your family but then you as you say you narrate uh, you start from like a dream that you you've had not animation to give, animation not to give too much but then really you explain your upbringing in pakistan the 90s moving to canada 2001 there's a really phenomenal scene it's an archive of you on the cbc in 2003, talking about colonialism and uh, imperialism. Impending war in Iraq. Impending war in Iraq. And it it, it shows on the set that everybody's uncomfortable with you saying these things. Yeah. And it was way before, you know, like these things I feel are more common now. But like back in 2003 to have someone on TV being like, this is an imperialist war. We should not be doing this. Um, how How did you, why did you channel all of this anger into activism and into like...
1: Well, that's what I try to explain in the film, yeah. you know, like what made my, my journey towards uh, what, what what was my journey towards activism? It was about self-actualization, self-realization, about realizing that, you know, the, the biggest, the hardest thing is to, is to come out, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, then when you come out and you just tell the truth to yourself and start telling the truth to others, then it just starts opening doors and the truth keeps coming out, you know, and then the more you learn, the more you grow, the more you realize what the world is all about. And which brings me back to that point a few earlier. Earlier, talking about religion and its implications and how religion is used to manipulate people and to get them to get involved in the righteous wars, the right. rightiest their yeah. ways, us versus them, and creating this kind of uh, the, the world where instead of thinking about the environment, about the planet, about global struggles, about poverty, we think about our own individual mm-hmm. selves and, right. and and get into this mode where we are willing to sacrifice ourselves or 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 up, you know kind of put put militarism on a pedestal. Right,
0: right, exactly. Um, what was your personal relationship like with religion? Because you mentioned that your father was devout Muslim. That's the culture oh, that you grew he, up in. He, But he, uh, your Abu, sort of,
4: wasn't like that when you were growing no. up he wasn't okay he developed. came to that later in his life
1: that's right so my film is actually uh, uh really exposing what happens who are these migrants who are these immigrants who are refugees it really shows you in a very personal way it's a miracle that my film got made first of all because yeah. in our community we do not like to share our personal videos or anything we do not like even even though now everybody has facebook but i tell you there's like things that are just taboo you do not talk about it that's why you never see any representation. Right. But I was sick and tired of the lies, of the secrets, and of, of these very important issues not being discussed in our communities, in in every community. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I'm i talking very about very personal things, such as sexual abuse, mm. which is not easy for any person yeah. to talk about. But because my sister went there, that gave me courage to go there myself. So, you know, I'm, I'm bringing in, a, as I said, a lot of issues in the service of helping people understand that we may be... Fucked up, but we're just as fucked up as everybody else, and we are not terrorists. No, yeah. of course, of course. And in terms of that
0: realisation, like everybody is fucked up. People have a very personal response to your film. We were talking a bit earlier before the show started. You've been able to bring your film to so many different places in the world and have these interactions with people that have seen your movie and have been moved by the film. What has that experience been like, that exchange between
1: you and the people going to see your film? You know, I, I It's overwhelming. I get standing ovations. Just now I won Best Feature Award at a a film festival in Vancouver. In Vancouver, yes.
4: Congratulations.
1: It was shocking because, I mean, they gave the Best Documentary Award and I was like, okay, great. So Best Feature is going to go to a fiction, which is normally the case. Right. But the jury was so emotional. Mm. They all hugged me and people came out of the cinema, you know, crying and happy and and telling me things and constantly i hear i wish i had brought my parents or i wish i had brought my children so th- well, the film is playing this saturday at uh, the imagination yes. film festival 1 pm i really encourage people to come and bring their families so that they can uh, you know they they will have they will get a very enriching experience mm-hmm. so people are coming and telling me how necessary this film is and how i've articulated their anguish that's a great feeling because they're
4: Arshad, there's so many layers in your film. You t- there, the, the, there's obviously the sexuality, being a queer man, and then there's immigration coming from Pakistan, and then there's imperialism. The and just the, like the sexism, also the relationship, sexual abuse, as you touched upon. But the way it's laid out and the storytelling is not. It's overwhelming at the end because you're like, wow, all of this, and then it ends with love, which is, I think, a good thing. Um
1: well the reason that you have been so moved by the film is not because of just my ability. Yeah. It is because I had an incredible editor, mm-hmm. Etienne Gagnon. Yeah. He's he's yeah. a magician. Yeah. And I had a sound designer, Sylvain Bellamar, who yeah. just won an Oscar for Arrival. Wow. And I had a producing partner, Sergio Kirby. Yeah. I mean these and, and writing partners, Matt Jones, Shelley Tapperman, uh, you know, and, and my narration was directed by Umar Majid and Deepa Mehta. So I had a team working with me. You know,
4: so that's that's my question. You so because I heard the story where you were working for an airline. And yes. you saw Deepa Mehta, the famous Canadian uh, Indian-Canadian director, on the airline. Was that before you got into film? Well, you were a film fan, but
1: yeah, before but you got into film was away before production. 1998.
4: <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> what's, what's that story? I was, was doing that a story? daily
1: flight. You know, I was working as a flight attendant, which, by the way, is a job of privilege. I was yeah. in school. I was working as a flight attendant. I was living this really, really great life. And I had her. She was the only passenger in business class going to India, uh, coming back from India. And no one on the flight knew her. I'm like, oh, my God. That's, <laughs> <it."> that's <laughs> Deepa Mehta. She made fun. Because
4: your parents, you grew up in, in <coughs> Pakistan, but your parents were born in India.
1: Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, Both so, my parents yeah. were born in India and they were refugees to Pakistan. To Pakistan. So that's something also I contextualize and address without going too much into the politics of those countries. Mm-hmm. But you
4: have a, a do, you, do you feel a sense of belonging with
1: India? Yes, of course. I mean... When you're in Pakistan, once again, I will mention: Pakistan is uh, just like Israel. There were there were two countries made at the exclusion of uh, mm-hmm. others. You know, um, one was Pakistan and one was in Israel, and both are extremely dysfunctional nations because mm-hmm. you cannot create a nation at the exclusion of other people. And this this partition, this creation of this country, was very brutal. And what it did is is is, uh, is it put. All the resources of the country to the hands of like twenty-two families, mm-hmm. who to this they still own everything, you know. So it's it's an, another very colon, colonialist move, yeah. which divided families, divided lands, divided people, forced migration. Almost two million people died. And to this day, that wound is, is existing. And now, of course, Pakistan, the most powerful it's, it's the corporation in Pakistan is the military, which is the hot, biggest employer in the country, right. which really controls the country in almost every possible way. And Pakistanis are, are you know, fed down their throat the, the hatred for India. But they're Indian. You know, and when you come out of the country to a place like Canada, to a place like Quebec, where you meet Indians and you're like, oh, my God, we're the same people. Or you meet Iranians or you meet Afghanis or you meet these other people who you're meant to, like, not like or whatever, what have you. Um, then you realize people are all the same. And that's why Canada is so important. That's why Quebec is so important. That's why keeping church and state separate yes. is <laughs> so important. I'm sorry, can I no, that I,
0: I love that you're saying this because I feel like... Like, it's, it's still touchy, you know? Like, because for me, too, I'm just, like, profoundly against these organizations and this manipulation. Absolutely. But it, it's hard to talk about, it. and that's why I appreciate your fearlessness in talking about it, because... On some level, it's still something that certain people f- get something out of, you know, but it's misguided, you know. And I think that that feeling of love or that feeling of community that some people experience within organized religion is something they can tap into outside of that just as much, you know, if not in a more real
1: way, personally. But, but. look at what the media is up to. The media is normalizing the crimes of people without, uh, uh, mm-hmm. instead of holding them accountable. George Bush was on Ellen.
4: Oh, yeah. The rehabilitation of George Bush right now is, is it's insane yes. and it's frightening and yeah. disgusting.
1: And we yeah. cannot let it go. on. Let We cannot mm-hmm. let it happen. And that's why I'm very, very concerned. That's why I made this film, because I was, i want a reminder to people to let people know, first of all, you know, who we are, where we're coming from. I, I did not make this film just for the Western audience. I wanted the Western audience to know who we are. But I want to remind our own people, look. We are about love. We yeah. are about compromise. We are about understanding. We are about joy. About we are poets and, and artists. We are not terrorists.
4: And the way and the way you show your father is very complex. So it's a he's a man who was pretty moderate when you were growing up. And eventually, when he moved to Canada, he he had a hard time integrating economically, and he turned to religion. That's right. Um, but in always a desire to to be. <laughs> to to have more love in his life I I found it in the film and you know he's moved by poetry and it's not like it's not a sort of like um, image of radicalization that white people have that we have Uh, and I really like but then on and the way you turn to activism it's both of you turn to something that's right Mm -hmm. and then in the end that sort of tear you that tore you apart but you had to come back together
1: Yeah, that's the thing, you know, this is life, right? Mm -hmm. And I have an image of my father, which I found only after the film was done, where we're literally in a boat together, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and I use that image for for, for some, uh, you know, publications and so on. But the fact is that we're all in the same boat, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're all trying to find that elusive place called home. Yeah. And the film is really about... A child and a parent, and trying to find that harmony between and the relation in a relationship um, in a in a society which is full of turmoil, full of uh, you know things that that are working to tear people apart rather than bring them together
4: right It's very touching to me also to hear you say nice things about Quebec. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love Quebec. yeah, I mean, I mean look, at, look at what Quebec has done for me. It has provided me the best education for the most affordable price. It has given me funding for my film from every level. It has every festival here, has embraced my film. The people my, 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 I found love here, I found community here, uh, you know, I, I love it. because it's yeah. an, an
4: incredible journey from Islamabad to Mississauga <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so then to Quebec to Quebec. Where, where do you live in Montreal?: Park X. Oh you live in Park X? Oh wow. How is that? Is that
1: stereotypical?
4: Yeah. Uh, I it, it I mean, <coughs> excuse me. Is it?
1: No, I'm just joking. Okay. So it's, it's a great place for artists. It's a great place for for, for people of all different ethnic and um, you know backgrounds and I find that it's very inclusive. And uh, I, I'm very engaged, and I was very excited with the uh, recent election. Some very, very good people came came forth, and mm-hmm. I, I find it's a good community of activists yeah. and people.
4: Do you, how do you find uh, the representation of South Asian um, Canadians and Canadian media, Canadian the Canadian experience?
1: It's very lacking, of course. I mean, and anybody can tell you that, yeah. and and. You know the the guardians this, I, I, the the guardians of of culture uh, at the higher levels are still white males mm-hmm. or c- cis, cis uh, whites. Mm-hmm. and I feel like they still have no idea what we are struggling with. Yeah. and I think at the basis of that is the fact that they don't understand the privilege of a passport, mm-hmm. what it means to have a want, need a visa you know, if you're Pakistani, for example, or Indian, you cannot travel without a visa to Canada. And it's very hard to get the visa. You can you have to be a certain class of person. Right. As much as we harp on, excuse me, <clears throat> uh, democracy and freedom, these passports are elements, uh, remnants of colonialism. Mm-hmm. They pre- prevent people from freely moving mm-hmm. and, and experiencing the world. You know, so we still have a very divided global north and south. And and these passports are, are 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 chains that are inflicting the people of the global south, and they're there are they and and this the guardians of uh, of of the of the gatekeepers mm-hmm. of these f- uh, big film festivals or big media, you know, they still do not have an understanding of the struggle of the global south. Yeah.
4: Do you do you think now that there's a sort of fetishization of 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 the Global South or racialized people Excuse or me. in in media and film?
1: I think that there are some strides that are being made. Like someone mm-hmm. compared my film, Abu, with uh, The Big Sick. Okay. okay. <laughs> like yeah. That sounds like The Big Sick. And <laughs> I'm like, oh, I never thought of it that way. But my film is, of course, very okay. funny. It yeah. has a lot of comedic elements. It's also moving. But, but you know, there are these people you know, like Kumail Nanjiani yeah. and like... Um, uh, man, uh, of uh, Aziz Ansari, yeah. uh, who who are you know pushing the envelope, you know, and and getting uh, getting known, and that's very very exciting. It is an exciting time. It's a good time opportunity. Do you
4: think the film will open doors for you outside of uh, of Montreal, Quebec, and in, in terms of filmmaking, in terms of opportunities, in terms of because a film is really when you're a filmmaker <coughs> is me. is really how you you get work, you meet other people, right. you.
1: I am hoping that people will see the film and be moved by it. The yeah. CBC is presenting a 45 minute version of the film. Oh, that's amazing! um Yeah, and uh, also the CT is, uh, Doc channel, which I recommend everybody yeah. to subscribe <laughs> to, is going to have the full version of the film sometime right. later next year, and I'm very excited about that. So people who have seen it are moved by it, and that's exciting. That's wonderful for me, and. Uh, I think my film is not something that's going to make making a huge splash on the scene, for example, but it's a slow burn. Yeah. And I think it's slowly but surely from community to community word of mouth
4: yeah but i love how like you're really at the intersection of cuz we heard about the film through our friend <coughs> jordan Arsenault.
1: yes uh, he's a wonderful amazing human being yes yeah. <laughs> yes uh
4: who's a queer activist artist uh curator and uh, he told he told us about you and he told us about the film but then i also cuz i did a bit of research and then you know in the south asian community people are you know reacting really well not necessarily be they could be straight, you know, like so, and that intersection <coughs> is not very common. and yet you're sort of standing on that intersection. The strongest
1: right reactions are coming from people who are neither brown nor Muslim nor Pakistani. and mm-hmm. they're just they can be white, east asian, um A- african American. African-Canadian, that the strongest reactions are coming from people across the board mm-hmm. because they are so surprised, mm-hmm. first of all, to see a film about people that they had very huge misconceptions about, as you correctly point out, Thomas. And that's really exciting for me. You know, and the but fact there's a universal.
4: That, uh, sorry, go for it, and no, all.
1: No. Yeah, there's exactly as you're saying. There's the film is going. We are very surprised by the reaction to the film that people are just so moved by, right. and they're breaking down and telling me very deep secrets mm-hmm. about themselves because even today, today people are not comfortable confronting. Sexual abuse or confronting, you know, a lot of secrets. Right. That, and even, I found out that two, one in two people is sexually abused mm. out of South Asia. Mm. That's a shocking That's, statistic. Yeah. That's yeah. A,
4: yeah. Well, knowing what's going on with women in India, we yeah. we hear a little bit about it, but be, it's so distorted what we hear nor like hear of uh, what's going on there. We can end. Trina, I know that you were in the story. You were moved by
0: getting the parents' approbate, like parents' approval. Well, that idea that like that. that <laughs> That need that we have to be understood by our parents yes. and and what happens to us emotionally if we don't get that approval, yes. you know? Um, did, Do you find that you were able to to come to some sort of reconciliation either with your father or just within yourself putting this film together? And even your mother. I you think your that's mother, a
1: really good yeah. question. Okay, that's very important. Because they really, if you think about it, when I thought about it, because this... Film took a long time to yeah. make and the essence of it really was this acceptance by parents that is the hardest thing mm-hmm. and that is a very important thing for human beings and when they don't get it it's it's very challenging especially for sensitive people especially for artists yes. you know and sometimes they struggle for this all their lives The first time uh, I had my Canadian premiere at Montreal at the Fantasia Film Festival and my mother and my older brother and older sister from Pakistan were here in Montreal and they refused to come to the screening. It threw me into a depression, Mm. you know, really, because my mother's participating in the film. I had a very difficult time with that. I I, like blocked all social media, my family from social media. I was very devastated, you know, because here I am. I worked so hard on making this film, you know, which is Basically, at its essence, trying to justify my existence mm-hmm. and the existence of people like myself. No one should have to make a film to do that. Yeah. And But then eventually my mother did come and see it in Toronto. at It was opening film at the Real World Film Festival, which was a huge honor. Yeah. It's a great screening, sold out a week in advance. I got a standing ovation again and uh, my, my mother saw it and she said, Oh, it was kind of funny. <laughs> and then she said, she said, oh, it's not, it's not so bad, which right. in Ami Pakistani terms means it's amazing. <laughs> Fantastic. And then she said, you know, later she said, I'm proud of you. Mm. That was shocking. And I was like, huh? Say it again. I was in shock. And that's something, you know, that's something that she saw this movie. It was painful for her. I had Deepa Mehta on my right. I had my mother on my left. Deepa Mehta laughed throughout the film. My mother cried throughout the film. And of course, it was hard for my mother to see those scenes of my father dying. Yeah. And uh, but, you know, it was fantastic. It was a very moving and wonderful thing to hear that okay i have not been utterly useless in my no <laughs>
0: quite the opposite
4: Arshad, thank you so so much anybody listening you need to you need to watch you Abu. need to see this yeah. film uh, yeah. thank you so thank much you. this for has having been me the an on,
0: it literally felt like five minutes i can't believe yeah, it's been we are th- wrapping th- up yeah. this interview yeah. this is crazy thank you thank so you for much me. so oh much God. love and so much respect thank,
4: thank you, you for
1: having me on this show thank it's a great you. show
0: awesome thanks All right. So today we are featuring a stand-up comedy performance by one of my absolute favorite people <laughs> in the world, Iman Al-Husseini. You know Iman. I know Iman. She's uh, your comedy godmother in a way, in, in early in the early days. Yeah. Well, I still refer to her as mm-hmm. that, honestly, because when I did my very first open mic, Iman was the headliner of the night who closed out the show. Um And she saw me and just came up to me after and just really understood me right off the bat. And it's because of her that I never really had to do all that many open mics. So here's like the confession because (laughs) Iman started putting me in shows that she was booking and... And then from that, other people put me in shows. So, like, I never had to really do that many open mics, honestly, in four years of doing comedy. But you comedy. don't want to. I don't fi- want to. It's fine doing open no. mics. You can, te- you can test
4: new material. No, no, there's no it's shame. weird. It's
0: like... I'm not shaming people who do open mics. <laughs> I'm just saying, thank God for Iman, yeah. because she just helped me, like, right off the bat, just do the kind of stuff that I wanted to do. She's Canadian. She's, her heritage is... Palestinian. Pa- Palestinian. And she lives in New York now. yes. And she's married to an amazing (laughs) Jewish girl, a redhead. Iman loves redheads. Yes, Um, She's married to Jess Solomon, who's Also. also brilliant. And together, they just make this incredible comedy duo. And they just launched a new comic strip, The El Solomons, about their married life and their move to New York. And they're just two people that I adore so much. And I'm so excited for you all to listen to Iman El Husseini on stage.
5: And you have to know this uh, about my dad he's like really proud of being Muslim he's not religious even he just really loves being Muslim so he gets super excited when Jehovah's Witnesses come over he invites them in you guys he invites them in, like oh come in come in my friend I show you who converts who come we must we must have some Arabs in the audience huh? Good, okay, Allah, holy shit. Very proud, good for you, that's good. Usually they're like, shut up, we tell people we're Cuban, don't say anything, that's awesome. I love being Arab, I loved, I loved growing up with Arab parents because it's constant comedy, right? Again, like I said, I thought, I thought my parents were religious growing up uh, because they used the name Allah often in their sentences, right? So especially inshallah, God willing. So whenever I asked my parents for anything, the answer was inshallah, right? God willing, Baba, can I have the car? Inshallah. Mama, can you buy me the shirt? Inshallah. I don't know about you guys, but inshallah meant no in my household. That's why inshallah meant. Why they have to bring God into it. The best thing, the best thing about Arabic parents is Arab parents swearing though. That's the best. Bentel cat Daughter of a dog Really? Really Baba? I'm okay with it If you are I guess I don't know Daughter of a dog The first time My mother said it to me I'm like Mom it's not nice He's right there He's right Here I do love being an Arab In North America Because people are either Afraid of us Or they feel bad for us Really So it's a win-win situation I find it especially entertaining with my uh when my non-arab friends introduce me to people i feel like i'm on the discovery channel i swear to god so i was like hey hey that's you remember i've told you about her that's she's she's the arab why are you whispering why are you whispering it's like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. she's muslim but don't worry <laughs> period that's it so, and of course, this awkward introduction is immediately followed by a discussion on food. <laughs> like, hey man, it's really nice to meet you. And I just want you to know I really love falafels. <laughs> and all I feel like people panic. They meet an Arab for the first time, they're like, oh my God, quick, say something nice before they explode. I don't know. <laughs> it's gonna happen. That's why I sincerely believe the most powerful word in the Arab language today is hummus. You say hummus in front of white people, you guys love that stuff. It puts you at ease, right? It calms you down, you love hummus. It's it's crazy. Still laughing on the hummus, as soon as I said hummus. You guys love it, it's great. Like hummus is white people's new mayonnaise, let's be honest. Thank Allah for hummus is what I like to say. Uh, But some people take it so far, too far. Um, Like I called my friend Bob the other day to go out for dinner. And he's like, I'm having dinner right now. I'm having hummus. It's a spread for God's sake. It's not a meal. Put the carrots down. Okay.
4: Trana, this morning you got to talk to someone who's uh, one of your favorite people online, on social media. Jeffrey Self. Um, Why do I, I don't know that person.
0: Who is he? Well, Jeffrey is... um, an amazing actor. He had a web series a couple of years ago that was really successful. Um, He just published his second young adult novel called A Very, Very Bad Thing. His first one was called Drag Teen. And Jeffrey is just this great um, online personality, but not in... Not in the way that we're no, used you, to it right now. No, but if you're
4: into that person, I don't think he's, he's phony well, or shallow. No, because yeah. Jeffrey
0: is someone who runs deep, you know what I mean? Because like, I feel like when you say the term online personality, <laughs> at least for me, the the immediate thing that I imagine... I have a rash. I have a skin rash have, when you say exactly, that. Exactly. Yeah. It makes me want to throw up because it, it's usually just these people who do anything to get a like or just drive the numbers up, which... I'm so engagement, fed Trana, engagement no but I'm so fed up with it can we just side note I'm so fed up with people who are only it's noise it's, it's just noise, noise. but yeah. I'm like we need to go deeper and I feel like Jeffrey Self is someone who goes deeper he's so smart he's so on the ball he's funny he's just as obsessive about pop culture as we wow. are and like really obscure shit and I'm just so happy that I finally got to talk to him so let's listen to that Good morning, Jeffrey.
2: Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, you? I am well, I'm well. I'm just weirdly sitting on the couch eating some crispy ranch seasoned chickpeas because it's seven in the morning and what else would you be doing? That's
0: very L.A.
2: <laughs> um, it is very L.A. I just, uh, they are uh, frankly, they're just the last snacks I had in my refrigerator, I mean in my cabinet and I... Uh, wanted something.
0: I love that. I'm so excited to be talking to you. I feel like like a, such a fan girl right now.
2: I'm such a fan of you. Oh my I, god. We we've never met in real life, though.
0: Have no, you. unfortunately not. Uh, but I'm. I've been following you.
2: I've been following you. i have been um, very
0: much following you. One of the things that I love about your approach to social media, and even in your your amazing podcast. You're just very honest and authentic, and I feel like that's something that is just rare right now, you know?
2: Well, thanks. That's very nice. I uh I really appreciate that.
0: And you have a new book out, congratulations. I do. A very, very, very bad thing.
2: Yes, that is correct. Your second um, YA, a... right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, it's a YA. Uh, young adult, um, and, uh, which has nothing to do with that Charlize Theron movie. It is is a simply a genre of of books. Um, but, uh, uh, yes, it's called very, very bad thing. Uh, it just came out, uh, and it is a story of like a young queer relationship. And, uh, the first time these two, uh, boys have ever been in love before and how, uh, they allow a lie to be taken for the sake of doing something for the better good.
0: That sounds amazing. And I read in the description something that I loved was that the protagonist feels like they're the only queer kid in their school, in their town. Did you feel that way when you yeah. were growing
2: up? Yeah. I mean, so it's set in the South. It's set in North Carolina. Um, and I'm from Georgia. Uh, and I actually went to the school in North Carolina. Uh, And, uh, yeah, at some level, I definitely felt like the only uh, queer kid in my town. I mean, you know, I grew up at a time where I feel like pop culture was just beginning to have that, you know, that shift we all experienced uh, where, you know, between like Queer Eye for the Straight Guy and uh, Will and Grace and that whole era where all of a sudden there were a lot of gay men on TV per se uh it was a you know a very specific kind of um you know rich white gay man right <laughs> uh on the on the tv but it was like the first step towards some sort of visibility um within a queer you know persona on tv so i mean i definitely like got you know i benefited from from the beginnings of you know such big change that we you know we're now beginning to see the the results of, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I definitely felt, you know, pretty outside of, uh, the, you know, the world that I wanted to be a part of, you know, you, you definitely are like finding gay characters in movies and, or, you know, queer movies and reading watching them and going, Oh, wow. I want to, you know, Move into that world and out of this one. uh that's yeah. uh, kind of something I wanted to capture with uh,
0: and um character. Yeah, between your first book, Drag Teen, and now this one, I'm guessing on book tours and stuff, you've gotten the chance to to like see the kids reading your books. Like, what kind of feedback yeah. have you gotten
2: from them? Yeah, I mean that's such a cool thing. I mean one one great thing that I really loved about Working in the, the YA space, if you will, uh, <laughs> <so ridiculous>. um, <laughs> is uh, uh, they the the entire that entire publishing community is really really um, supportive of uh, you know as 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 diverse a subject matter as, as possible. And in that they you know they they came to me when I first was talking to them about doing a book and you know they said we, we you know basically. We have plenty of books about coming out, and right. plenty of books uh, about the you know keeping the secret of being of being gay from your family, and how to talk you know talk about it out loud and whatnot. And you know, obviously, those books are you know incredibly important. Uh, it's obviously an incredibly important subject matter. Uh, but there's like, you know one thing we don't have enough of is books about um, you know. F- yes, I'm a queer person, but I'm cool with that. But I don't, it's the person part I don't like. I don't like who I am. Right. Uh, So let me, you know, work, how do I overcome that? Uh, And so that's something that, within that community, they've been very, very, um, just, I I just think it's just such a supportive um, thing for for young people. So from that though, uh, they have such a great relationship with their readers, uh, so many of these YA publishing companies, and they do these like big events. Uh, like these young adult festivals uh, across the country and I've gotten a chance to go to a few of those and yeah it's just so exciting to like get to see these kids across the country who are you know potentially living in places where you know they're not meeting lots of other queer people right. or certainly not going to a bookstore where there's you know celebrating queer literature and whatnot so I think there's something um, exciting that To see that, like, you know, I went to one in Texas where, like, schools are bussing in these kids and, like, they're getting the opportunity to, like, independently walk over and be like, oh, look, you know, this is the queer table. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, have this, like, salvation within, you know, a book, hopefully, which is, you know, exciting.
0: Yeah, that's amazing and that you get to be a part of that. And in addition to your amazing writing work, you're also a fantastic actor. I remember like marathoning hot in Cleveland and then seeing you and like just like being so excited to see you in a scene with Betty White. What was it like to work with Betty? I've been dying to ask you that.
2: Um, incredible. So like when I first moved to LA, uh, I was like, I like had a meeting with someone who worked on that show and they're basically like, So why did you want to meet with me? I was like, I just I don't give a shit what it is. I just need to be in a scene with Betty White. <laughs> um within my first year in LA and they made it happen. Um I mean I'm literally like it's like I think a scene and a half when I play a waiter, but uh or a concierge perhaps. Right. Some sort of service industry person. And uh and uh it but it was incredible. Like, I mean, Jesus, you're on like a not only like filming something with Betty White, but also like a sitcom, you know. Um, and, uh, it was, it was a very, uh, very surreal, uh, I believe two days of my life. Uh, and it's actually like the one piece of action I've ever done that, um, I feel like my grandmother is happy to talk about, <laughs> like everything else <laughs> everything I, else has had some sort of seedy con- connotation to a degree.
0: I love that. Um, so one of the things that we sort of celebrate and honor on this podcast is the idea of pop cultural obsessions. And one of the reasons yes. that I, I love, Following you is that I feel like we have very similar taste, and I love how enthusiastic you get about things like Bette Midler on Broadway and that picture of Angelica oh. Houston and Liza Minnelli in the middle of the desert. Yes. Um, and oh. all of your movie choices, like just the things that you watch, just like She-Devil, yes. and you just have such great taste. Um, what are you really obsessed with right now? Ooh, current intense
2: obsessions. Ooh, okay. Well, first of all, I, things I'm obsessed with that I'm reading, Tina Brown, who used to be editor of Vanity Fair, um, just released her like book of diaries from the eighties. And it's like the most delicious slice of insight into like celebrity culture of the eighties and, uh, in New York specifically. Uh, and it, like not just within fashion, but just within all of pop culture. So right. That's, I'm, like devouring that, I highly recommend that uh, it's called the Vanity Fair Diaries and uh let's see um ooh, I just watched this great documentary called mansfield a sixty six sixty nine about Jane mansfield's death oh my God, and, like the theories behind you know that there's like a whole like um what is that called uh what a stupid thing that i can't come up with A uh, 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 conspiracy theory yes um, <laughs> <laughs> behind uh, about her uh, it's seven in the morning here um <laughs> and uh <laughs> the conspiracy theory about like her death being linked to because she dated anton levey who was the founder of the church of satan and Basically, they believe that when she died, if you don't know who Jane Mansfield is, people who are listening obviously she's a was a was a huge, huge movie star um, yeah. who died in a in a very tragic uh, car accident. Also, the mother of Mariska Hargitay, who was in the car when her mother died. Oh my god. Um, Yeah, isn't that crazy? Uh, She was like a little little girl, but like, and was asleep, but still shocking. Anyway, the documentary is about like the belief. There's this like connection potentially between Anton Lavey putting some sort of satanic curse on uh, her family, and uh, yeah, and and that leading to this horrific car accident. Now, I mean, some of the film is a bit ridiculous, right? But But that's why we love it. Fantastic watch, exactly. And there's great like great guests on it. There's uh, John Waters does a lot of um, like st- talking on it and, uh, uh, who else is in it? Peaches Christ. And, uh, uh, someone else. there's a lot, there's a lot. Well, of, like, you just,
0: you definitely sold yeah, me. You definitely sold me. Yeah, and, no,
2: I highly recommend that.
0: And I just want to thank you for taking this call, Jeffrey, this morning at 7am in LA. And thank you for guiding us through the pop culture trenches and always pointing us in the right direction. I love you.
2: I love you, and uh, I I hope to get to meet you at some point. Come to L.A.
0: Uh, Me, too. I really hope so. I hope you have a great day.
2: All right. You, too. Okay. Uh, Enjoy. Happy. (laughs) Well, you're not even here. No, we don't do that. We do Thanksgiving Thanksgiving in October, (laughs) but it's all good. I hope
0: you have a happy Thanksgiving, and we're thankful for you, Jeffrey. (laughs) I'm thankful for you. All right. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Obsession. Obsession. What are you obsessed with? What am I obsessed with?
4: Trana, time yes. for obsessions. I know. What are you obsessed with? <laughs> oh, my God. I binged watched uh, Elias Grace, the uh, CBC Netflix series uh, last weekend. It's only six episodes, 45 minutes each episode. So it's not a lot of commitment. Right. You know, I it's haven't not like seen it yet. It's not like four seasons of 13 right. episodes. Um, so it's the story of this uh, woman, Grace Marks, who is a Northern Irish immigrant to Canada in the 19th century, emigrated uh, to Toronto. She had to leave her family because her father was abusive. She had to work. She ended up working as a servant in a house, made like became best friend with a young woman named Mary. Um, beautiful relationship, and then something happens to Mary and uh, Grace, the Irish woman, has to change house and and she commits a murder. And that's a real story. Um, well, the murder is a real story, right. and Mar- Margaret Atwood, because it's a Margaret Atwood no- novel, sort of like created. Everything that's around it, all the context, because right. we don't know that much about that woman, of course, because mm-hmm. she was a, an a immigrant in the in the 19th century, and she, the person, the character of Grace is so complex, right. and beautiful, and well played by Sarah Gadon. Um, it's written by Sarah Polly, uh, who adapted the the novel. Uh, it's Mary Ammon, the director, okay, directed it. It's all women, and it's a beautiful, beautiful series. I, we, I will not tell you if she committed or not. Yeah, the don't murder. tell me. Uh, don't ruin it. Um, because she ends up in prison, and then the whole show is basically that she is in therapy with uh, the psychiatrist, okay. um, which is all fiction because obviously in the 19th century, right? No doctor would sit down for like weeks with like uh, someone right. who's in. Well, jail. Margaret Atwood is yeah. just like I, I mean, need to watch the Handmaid's Tale. You need to watch now. the
0: Handmaid's Tale. I mean, that could easily be one of my exceptions too. But I feel like. I mean, we're all obsessed with it. It's, it's horrifying. It's incredible how Margaret Atwood is just so, you know, just she just sees everything, mm. you know, and, you know, it's it's an amazing thing for an artist to have one masterpiece that mm. alone is already incredible just to have one But Margaret has so many. (laughs) It's crazy. And one of my obsessions um, is her novel, Oryx and Crake, um, which has not been turned into a miniseries yet, but I heard that it is going to be. I think it's HBO that's doing it. And it's also, like The Handmaid's Tale, a sort of dystopian novel. But it is such a powerful novel. It's part of a trilogy. It's the first in three books. But just Oryx and Crake by itself alone is already so overwhelming and it's terrifying too because it's it's all happening i, I have a confession i've never read Margaret Atwood. Well, but start with two. Oryx and Craig, okay, honestly. Start will. with Oryx and Craig.
4: She she does a cameo in and uh, Grace uh, Elias Grace. And she had a little cameo yeah. in Handmaid's yeah, Tale, too. Yeah. I like that. She, I, I mean, it would, she would be a dream guest on the show. <laughs>
0: uh, Margaret, can you hear me?
4: Call us Margaret. <laughs> yes. Um, is this it? Yeah. This is this it? This is it. This has been episode eight of Chosen Family. It was so much fun. Thank you so much, Trina. We're going to leave you... With a song from Ghost Love. Uh, Our friends, they made the music for the podcast and they're playing a show this weekend in Toronto at a venue called um, Baby G. And they have a new song and we're premiering it on the podcast right now. It's called Change Your Mind. Thanks, everybody. chosen family was recorded live at the phi center
0: and we're so lucky to be working with them they're the best
4: we're live on facebook every second tuesday at 11 eastern follow the phi center on facebook instagram and twitter and follow us too our podcast is available on
0: soundcloud and itunes give us a five star rating don't we deserve it thanks to ghost for all the music and thank you for listening sharing and laughing we'll see you soon your
4: family now